from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. Probably made all the medical journals of that day. There are actually no women in this story at all. Uh, <clears throat> we don't know if, if there was, well, it certainly was a mom at one time. We're not sure if she's still around, or, but she doesn't make it into the story. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Another word for dissolute, or another definition of dissolute, is recklessly wasteful, and another word for that is prodigal. That's what prodigal means, recklessly wasteful or dissolute. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Good Jewish boy feeding pigs. Rock bottom. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, and but while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. A fatted calf, we know that it was going to be a community-wide celebration. You only kill the fatted calf when it's not just a family gathering, but it's going to be the entire community uh, involved, or at least invited. We'll see who shows up. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead, but he's come to life. He was lost, and now he's found. And this is the word of the Lord. You've heard a lot of sermons on this passage. I've preached a lot of sermons. This is my first one on this passage. The parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal means dissolute or uh, extravagantly wasteful. Uh, this youngest son, uh, this good-for-nothing son who uh, leaves the father. And the focus in a lot of the sermons I've preached in the past, and just about everyone you've probably heard, has been on the son, the prodigal son. That's what's called the prodigal son. Actually, uh, none of the parables were named by Jesus. Uh, they got named later. Actually, there are no chapter or verse in the Bible. Uh, the biblical writers just wrote. They didn't put chapters, verses, or titles on anything that they uh, wrote. That was all added later. Once they, you know, voted on which books would go into the Bible, uh, they decided, well, you know, it's going to be hard to find stuff, so let's put chapter and verse, and, you know, and then somebody got the idea, well, let's, uh, you know, let's name these things too. And it got called the parable of the prodigal son. Even though I preached and focused on this, what I always kind of thought of as a repentant son, I don't think that's the main character in the story. It's not, actually. It's not even the older brother in the story, even though uh, the audience, the intended audience, probably were people like the older brother, the Pharisees, others who um, were very narrow in their reading of the Bible, narrow in their faith, uh, uh, more about law and rules than about grace and love. You know, it's probably directed at, at them. But still, the main person in the story, the main focus of the story, is the Father. A gracious, generous Daddy. Now, uh, you know, everybody, a lot of people here, not everybody, a lot of people here identify with the prodigal son. Uh, there are people, perhaps, that have uh, entered into recovery from uh, addiction, addiction to alcohol or other substances or gambling or sex or whatever. You know, you're in recovery and you identify with this guy. You know, he's hit rock bottom. Jewish kid who's feeding pigs, he's at his very bottom. He's probably sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, the language of recovery. You know, and so you can identify, and I identify, with the prodigal son. But you know, sermons I've preached, and sermons you've probably heard, talk about, focus on repentance. Yet there's very little repentance in this story. Yeah, he says, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm not worthy to ever be called my father's son again. Duh. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty easy conclusion to come to. And that is the beginning. And those of you in recovery know, you know, when you reach your bottom, you, you've, you've got to take that first step that you're powerless against, you know, 
um, the powers of sin and death and, you know, your, um, whatever you're addicted to. Yeah, okay, you've got to take that first step. But there's a lot more to it. There's amends to be made. There are other steps to be taken. Repentance, which means change of heart, going in a different direction, entering into a new life. We don't know for sure that that's what's happening in this story. When I've preached about it before and focused on repentance, I read a lot into it. It's not necessarily there. He's hungry. He's desperate. I'm a sinner. I'm hungry. Maybe I can be my father's servant and he'll feed me. You know, that's all we really know. Well, let's look at the story. Good for nothing kid wants his inheritance. Basically, he's saying by asking for his inheritance now, he's saying, you know, what is to come to me when my father is dead? I want it now. In other words, dad, you're dead to me. You and the family and the community are dead to me. I want no part of you anymore. That's what he is saying. First century Israel, agrarian culture, that's what is being said. When Jesus is telling the parable, that's what is being heard. The community would have cut him off. For him to be able to return home, he would have had to have come back with at least as much as he had taken. Uh, But also, he's got hoops to jump through, penance to, to make. Uh, amends to be made to the Father and to the community to ever get back into good graces. He leaves and squanders everything he has. And by the way, they had to sell some of the property. You know, this is uh, the, the property of the Father. It's, it's a farm, basically. And, you know, and you've got to sell that stuff off to give him the money to go off and to squander it. Uh, you know, he's done violence to the family and to the community. All right, he is good for nothing. He is a sinner. Pretty obvious. But, you know, there's a famine. He loses everything and um, ends up feeding pigs. Desperate, he comes home. Now, he hasn't said a word to the father yet. He's just walking down the road. What happens? The father runs. Now, Aristotle, who predates Jesus uh, uh, several years as a Greek uh, philosopher, says that no respectable man would run in public other than an athlete during a race. You just don't run in public. That was not just true in in the, the Greek empire. That was true throughout the world at that time. Respectable men do not run in public. What the hearers of this parable would have heard when Jesus is telling it, is that this patriarch of the family runs with emotion, and forgive the sexism here, but we're talking about the first century, runs with emotion like a little girl. If anyone sees him, they are scandalized by uh, this action. This kid doesn't deserve it. He's, and he's not said a word to the father yet. The father has no idea what's in his heart or if he's had a change of heart. He runs and he puts his arms around him and he kisses him. Still not a word from the son. Then the son says, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner. Duh. Uh, you know, um, will you feed me? Will you let me be a servant? And 
he calls on those who are present, and apparently it was witnessed, probably the servants. And he says, get a ring, put it on his finger, a best cloak, put it around him, sandals on his feet. Kill the fatted calf, which you only do uh, for a celebration, and you only do for a person of honor. This is a major scandal. And for those who are hearing this parable, they're thinking, this guy is an awful patriarch. But friends, he is one hell of a great father. He is gracious, he is generous, and he is loving. Now, there's another brother in the story, the older brother. Uh, and he, it's pretty obvious who he represents in the parable. He represents the Pharisees and others in first century Israel who are a little bit narrow-minded. They're really into law. They think law is everything. To love God is to love the law. And frankly, over the years, I've gained pleasure from kicking him in sermons, him and others like him, other Pharisees in the stories in the New Testament. I like kicking him. I, don't, I get perverse pleasure from him. Not a lot of pleasure in the ministry, you know. But I like kicking those guys. You know the type. Smug. Narrow-minded. Think they're better than everybody else. You know, they're more into law than into grace and love. They're Bible thumpers. Their Bible is floppier than mine, although mine's kind of floppy, I guess. But you know, they, they use it as a weapon. They've weaponized the Bible like I haven't. I hate to get political, but, I, you know, I... I have political biases. And Jeff Sessions this week quoted from the Bible, misused the Bible. And, you know, he's, he, in my mind anyway, he's a modern-day Pharisee, at least the way he used the Bible this week. And so I like to kick people like that. And like this older brother. Well, there's a party going on, and that older brother won't go to it. He's sitting outside the house, according to the Scripture. He won't go in. He's resentful. But I'm going to go, because I like parties like that. I like, I, I like parties for the downtrodden, uh, for the outcast, the outsider, the poor and the, and the sinners, and those that, that Jesus particularly identifies with with in the Gospels. You know, that's my kind of party, so I'm going to go to that party. And I'm heading toward the door, and there on the porch, I see the older brother, and he's sitting, probably leaning back in his chair, probably arms like this, you know, pouting. You know, because that's what he does. He pouts, and he's angry, and he's resentful. And he's leaning back in that chair, and boy, he's an easy mark. I'll probably just kick the chair out from under him, you know, and I'll get pleasure from that. And and I, I'm getting to the steps, going to this great party. I don't know who else is in there because most of the people in that community probably wouldn't have been caught dead at that party. It's a scandalous party. 
but I'm getting ready to go up the steps and the father comes out. And I see he and the son talking a little bit and, and I hear him say to his oldest son, son, you have been with me always. What's mine is yours. He said it, I heard him. This is a gracious, generous father who loves all of his children. Prodigal sons, narrow-minded older sons. This is one great father. This is one great God. 